Well, today we finish up our nine-week uh, series entitled, What's Your Number? Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series. I know that I have, and I've received a, a number of comments from people. kind of went like this. One person said, you know what, you really nailed uh, my personality, or my child's personality, or, or my spouse's personality. Uh, I understand them a lot better now. Or I've had some people say, you know what, I, I've really been able to take uh, the next steps and, and growing more and, and more in my Christian walk with Christ. But I think the one that I've heard the most goes something like this. Uh, Pastor, I am still not sure what number I am. <laughs> and if you uh, feel that way, uh, don't worry. Um, you are still okay. Because guess what? You are more than a number. Amen. You are a unique and beloved creation of God. And our hope is that through this series, you now have a, a better understanding of, of what drives you, what your temptations are, your, your core weaknesses, your strengths, uh, when you're at your best, when you're at your worst, and, and what spiritual practices can help you in growing into a more holy and loving life. Uh, we end today with the nine called the Peacemaker. Uh, how do you know if you're number nine? Well, here's a couple questions that, uh, that might help. Are you the middle child? If you are, you might be a peacemaker. If somebody asks you where you want to go for dinner, and you always reply, I don't know, where do you want to go? You might be a number nine. Or do you sometimes feel overlooked, as though your opinion really doesn't matter? Well, you might be a peacemaker. Uh, nines are the sweethearts of the Enneagram. They are easygoing, go-with-the-flow types. And they're called peacemakers because they are natural mediators. You see, they value the perspective of other people. They're unselfish. They're flexible. They're inclusive. They are quick to love. They are slow to judge. They are down to earth and very practical. Uh, we have 10 staff members who are nines, which may be the reason why we all get along so well. We're all trying to avoid conflict. <laughs> but two of them, Dana and Ashley, are going to share with you uh, what it means to them to be a nine. Listen. Listen. An adjective that is often associated with the type 9 peacemaker is adaptive. How does that fit you? I think that um, I can easily adapt to situations because of my tendency to like want to please people and I would rather um, do what everyone else wants to do just to avoid conflict or tension. So that's a way I'm adaptable, what would you say? A peacemaker actually really tries to avoid conflict, but I think it's more realistic to say that we try to maintain and achieve harmony, and mm -hmm. those are two yeah. different objectives. And with that, I think we're willing to put aside our own feelings or desires for the greater good of the common harmony. What is your deepest fear? My greatest fear is that my relationships, whether it would be friends or family or even coworkers, 
would not survive a big disagreement or argument, or that even it would be irreparably damaged if I confessed a mistake or even a wrongdoing. Okay, I think my greatest fear is um, being separated from those I love because of a fallout or an argument and um, just overall disappointing others or God. I, I think when I feel most fearful is when I feel like I've done something wrong to uh, make someone else upset. What is your greatest need? My greatest need is having arguments and conflict and those relationships surviving. Me knowing that I will not lose love because we've been in an argument. I think going along with that, my greatest need is to feel that yeah, sense of security within relationships and knowing that um, nothing is going to separate us or um, that even when bad things happen, it's not like the end of the world. How does your type impact your relationship with Christ? It just reminds me of the sanctification of Jesus, that every day we are getting improved and moved along our path into the strengths and the way that He designed us. It's continuous, it's daily, it's ongoing. And again, I admire that path that He's taking me on, and I look to make forward progress each day in that. I think as a nine, I struggle to feel like my voice matters, and when I'm um, in a room with a bunch of people, I won't be the first one to talk because I think that what they have to say or how they feel is uh, more important than my opinions. And uh, I feel like the Lord's really worked on me in that and I can go to Him and find uh, my true worth in Him and uh, allow Him to minister to my heart and tell me that my voice does matter. And even though I'm more of a quiet and reserved person, that I can be powerful through the power of His Holy Spirit. So while a nine will always stand up for others, they sometimes struggle to stand up for themselves. That makes decision-making difficult uh, for the nine. So their motto is oftentimes, go along to get along. And when they are unhealthy, uh, they may be outwardly sweet and uh, easygoing, but inwardly stubborn and struggle to deal with their anger. In fact, they struggle to express their anger in a healthy way, so sometimes it will come out as passive-aggressive. Uh, so you might ask a nine, are, are you angry? And more than likely, they'll respond, well, I don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and while a one will internalize anger and an eight will express that anger outwardly towards others, a nine will try to ignore it. In fact, an unhealthy nine treasures their inner peace and equilibrium so much they'll do about anything to avoid conflict. And so the sin they struggle with the most is sloth or laziness. Now, I know what you're all thinking right now. Pastor, I'm not lazy. And I would agree with that. Uh, laziness is not the besetting sin of Anderson Hills United Methodist Church people. Most of you are busy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are burning that proverbial candle at both ends. You uh, both work uh, demanding jobs and, and family responsibilities. You rarely ever have a moment just to sit down and to relax. Many of you are type A personalities. So the last thing I need to do is get up here and accuse you of being lazy. But I'm not talking about physical laziness. 
You see, one of the big issues of a nine that they struggle with is mental sloth. That is, they will say, I'll do that tomorrow. Growing up, I had two jobs. I was responsible for caring for the, the yard and taking care of the dog. And when my parents reminded me it was time to do these chores, I was more than likely to respond, well, I'll do that at the next commercial. Or I'll do that after I play with my friends. And if my father ever heard me saying that, it would come out something like, Mark, do it now. And I knew he was serious. I found it very irritating, but he did me a huge service by prompting me to do responsible action now. But my thought process would be something like this. Phase one would be something like, I'm going to start early. Phase two, I've got to start soon. Phase three, why didn't I start sooner? Phase four, well, there's still time to get it done. Phase five, what is wrong with me? And then the last phase, next time, I'll start sooner. <laughs> you see, I, I always had good intentions, but I would just put it off until it's too late. And sometimes we do that. We'll say, you know, I'll get informed uh, about the issues later. We complain about social problems, racism, sexism, or hunger, but we don't do anything. We never get around to it. You see, oftentimes nines like the easy way. They like the easy way, the path of least resistance. Here are some book titles that I found on Amazon that I think exemplify that. Calculus Made Easy. <laughs> Fit and Fabulous in 15 Minutes. Easy Way to Stop Smoking. But here's my favorite. Easy Child Labor. Every Woman's Guide During Childbirth. <laughs> Written by a man. No lie. We like it easy, don't we? Don't make me sweat. I'll do it later. But we never do. Do you know where I struggle with sloth? I, I have this bad habit whenever I have a really big project to do that is significant and important. I find all these small, unimportant things to do first. And so I'll say to myself, self, this is such a big project. Let's go home where I won't have any interruptions. But on my way home, I stop at Starbucks to get a coffee. There I run to some friends and they say, hey, Mark, let's go for a morning jog. And so I do. And then I have to shower and change my clothes. Then I finally get to my computer and I open it up and I've got a bunch of emails that I have to answer. And so I answer those emails, and now I'm ready to start on my project, but I notice, oh my gosh, it's almost lunchtime. So I go to the refrigerator to fix some lunch, and there's no food there because I put off going to the grocery store. And so I go to Panera's to grab some lunch, and while I'm there, I run into some friends who say, hey, Mark, let's go on an afternoon jog today. You see, mental sloth. And it wastes my God-given time and robs me of the number one thing that God wants me to be doing, those important things. Well, there's a second kind of sloth that nines struggle with, and that's relational sloth. 
You see, relational sloth is the unwillingness to do the hard work it takes to sustain a relationship. We say, I don't want to rock the boat. It's not worth the effort. Harvard psychiatrist and author Scott Peck says, since love is work, the essence of non-love uh, is laziness. It may very well be that laziness is one of the biggest factors in marriage breakups. One or both persons in the marriage who, who don't want to do the hard work of dealing with the issues, dealing with the conflict, to make that commitment and to spend the energy necessary for a good relationship. And so whenever I'm counseling couples prior to marriage, I will always warn them. I'll say, you know what? Life is going to get very busy with careers and, and with children and social engagements. Don't let all that busyness squeeze the romance out of your marriage. Make sure that you spend time weekly working on this marriage. Have a regular date night. Get a sitter, whatever it takes, and be together for the sake of your marriage and your family. And so the cure is to get in there and do the things necessary to restore our relationships. Perform acts of love, and guess what will happen? The feelings of love will follow. See, I think laziness prevents us from loving. Love requires commitment and energy and work. Sometimes we have to rock the boat. It causes problems with our children. Lazy parents produce problem children. I mean, how many times would I ask my children to do something when we were raising them and, and there's some reluctance or they get a little upset and so I say to myself, you know what? It's easier just for me to do it. It may be easier, but it's not good parenting. There's another kind of sloth that uh, nines struggle with, and that's spiritual sloth. Now here's the strength of, of the nine. They are natural contemplatives. That is, they love to be in the presence of God. They have this innate openness to the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they have learned how to rest and, and how to bathe in God's presence in his love. But where they struggle with is in their passion for Christ. You see, if you want to grow in your spiritual life, it's going to take some work, some effort. Donald Shelby said in a, in a sermon of his, he says, we want Christ but only moderately. We love Jesus but only moderately. We will follow Jesus but only following him so far. To claim to be a Christian without wanting Jesus more than anything else is actually a contradiction. You see, if, if you want more of Jesus, you've got to be passionate about it. Sloth is anything but passionate. Sloth says, I'll do it tomorrow. Laziness says, why bother? What difference will it make? But it makes a difference to our souls. Pastor uh, Eon Crone says this. He says that nines often engage in spiritual sleepwalking. That is, they, they treasure their inner peace so much that they lack the fire, the passion to chase after their God-given dream. I believe that's true. 
That if we, ne- if we neglect time with God, if we, if we ne- neglect the Scriptures or prayer or worship or, or serving others or being together in our small groups, we'll, we'll pay the price with a shallow faith. And so when those difficult times come, we're, we're not going to be ready. We cannot sleepwalk in our Christian life. Besides, God will not allow it. Well, a great example of a nine in the Bible is Abraham. We first hear about him in Genesis 11. We discover that he is the the son of Terah and brother to Nahor and Haran. And they live in the city of Ur in Babylon. Well, Terah decides to move to Canaan, and he takes his grandson Lot and his his, uh, son Abraham with him. But it's a long journey, about 1,400 miles, and about halfway they grow tired of traveling, and they settle in Haran. Terah dies, and God calls Abraham uh, to pick up and to keep moving south to Canaan. And he obeys the call, and he moves. In chapter 12, we discover there's a famine, in, and so this time they move on to Egypt where there's plenty of food. And it's here that we see the nine starting to come out in Abraham. Evidently, Sarah is quite the beauty. And Abraham is afraid it's going to cause problems with his new neighbors. And so he tells Sarah, tell everybody that you're my sister. In other words, let's lie about our relationship. Let's go along to get along. But it doesn't keep him out of trouble. It only gets him into more trouble, and soon Sarah and Abraham are fleeing Egypt to go back to Canaan. In chapter 13, he gets into conflict with his nephew Lot. And instead of dealing with the the tension, instead of dealing with the conflict, he says, let's just separate. Lot, if you want to go off to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you want to go to the left, I'll I'll go to the right. Let's don't deal with, with the issue. Let's 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 just part and go our separate ways. And so they do. Go along to get along. In chapter 16, Sarah is tired of waiting for that promised child that God promised. And so she proposes that her servant Hagar be a surrogate mother. Abraham goes along. Hagar becomes pregnant with Ishmael. Well, as you can imagine, this increases family tensions between the two women. And Sarah blows up, and she blames Abraham for it. And rather than sticking up for Hagar, he avoids the conflict. He says, Sarah, do whatever you think is best. And uh, Sarah mistreats her so badly that Hagar runs off. And so even though Abraham won't intervene, God does, and he sends an angel to rescue Hagar and to bring her back to the family. You see, go along to get along. That's the unhealthy nine. Well, in chapter 18, we begin to see the healthy side of Abraham begin to emerge. Three divine visitors show up at his tent, and they announce that the city nearby is about to be destroyed. Let's hear the story again. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I will know. 
The men turned away and they went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? If there are 50 righteous people in this city, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Verse 25, listen to how he negotiates with God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? You hear what's going on here? Uh, Abraham, the peacemaker, negotiating with the Lord of the universe and he's so brazen about it. Far be it from you. Will you judge? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? <laughs> and God responds, yes, for 50 I will spare it. And Abraham, kind of the, the horse trader, comes out in him. And he says, well, well, how about 45? Will you spare it for 45? Yes, for 45 I will spare it. Well, God, how about 40? Will you spare it for 40? Yes, I will spare it for 40. And he negotiates all the way down to, to just 10. He says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Unfortunately, there aren't even 10 to be found uh, in this town. But Abraham, Abraham begins to reveal the, the healthy side of being a nine. He's not afraid of conflict, not even afraid of conflict with God, and that he cares deeply about other people. He cares about his neighbors. So how can a nine begin to grow in their walk with the Lord? Here's where it begins. Nines need to understand that they matter to God, that God sees them, that God hears them, and that God loves them. Those of you who live with a nine, you can love them by reminding them that they matter to you as well. And when you do this, it gives them tremendous courage to find their voice and to come into their own. They begin to understand that they are important like everybody else. And then the nine needs to begin to understand that the conflict is, is not a bad thing. You see, a, a nine who is sleepwalking through life, refusing to acknowledge and, and resolve the conflict. You see, denial is a big defense mechanism for them. And so nines need to be willing to express their opinions. They need to be willing to stand up for their ideas. And so the next time somebody says, where do you want to go for dinner? Stand up and say, here's where I want to go. The most expensive restaurant in town is where I want to go. I, I'm a one, but I have a wing nine, which means that I, I have some of the attributes of a peacemaker. I used to avoid conflict, starting even as a young child. My mother tells the story of we had one babysitter that, that I didn't like, and whenever she would come, I would just put myself to bed. Just go upstairs and, and go to bed. And I found even in adulthood, that was a wonderful way to get out of problems. Just go to bed, you know. The trouble is you wake up, and you have even more conflict and, and more painful conversations. My friends, when I learned that avoidance causes more turmoil than simply dealing with it, it was a huge game changer for me. 
huge. Here's where the nine needs to do the work. Because they prefer structure and predictability and routine, they aren't always willing to do the hard work of, of spiritual transformation. And so to overcome this, peacemakers need to be willing to embark on this journey of discovering your calling. Where is God calling you to go? What is God calling you to do? What is your mission? What is your purpose? And once you discover that, be willing to do the hard work. Be willing to rock the boat. Because sometimes to take that next step, you will have to do that. You will have to rock the boat. You will have to risk conflict to take that next step with Christ. Abraham does it. He answered the call and became known for his faith in God. So the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years later, would write about Abraham in his book of Romans. These words, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How about you? Are you willing to follow the call of God no matter what it takes? Allow God to ignite that fire within you to do the next steps that it takes to grow in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Abraham's example of how he struggled, Lord, with conflict, but how he, he grew in his faith to that point where he was totally able to place his life in your hands. God, we pray the same for us. Take away our fear of, of risk. Take away our fear of conflict. Help us to hear your calling and to obey, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.